0: Wow, it's 3 This is loaded He swings and it's a high fly ball deep center field. It is gone! Homerun!
1: And a huge bat to celebrate. All right, Ben, start the show already. What's up everybody? Welcome to another episode of Flippin' Bats. It is season 2 and man, are we starting it off right. Carlos Correa of the Minnesota Twins is about to join me here shortly. This is going to be a blast of a season. We will have three episodes a week. Baseball is back, my friends, and we are going big this year. I am so excited. So excited. Carlos will be joining us soon. Let's get started today. We're going to go around the bases, talk about some of the storylines from opening week, opening weekend, And we're going to do my power rankings in a little while. Every Monday on MLB on Fox, I come out with my power rankings. So we're going to go through those today, 1 through 10 as well. I got to see Shohei Ohtani on opening week. So guess what? It's back this week in Shohei Ohtani News. Let's get into it. Let's round the bases off the top before we get to Carlos Correa in just a few minutes. And first up is first base, and I want to talk about my brother, Justin Verlander, and the Houston Astros. This was a special week for me. It was a special weekend. Um, Justin is back. For the first time in 624 days, I got to see my brother back out on a mound. Now, my brother is nine years older than me. There hasn't been a single year in my entire life that I hadn't seen my brother pitch until last year. Now he's back. And on Saturday night in Anaheim, with myself, my mom and my dad, my sister-in-law, and some of their friends and family, I was able to watch him again. It was, it was an incredible night. It was emotional. Uh, I had so many nerves going on before this started, so many. Um, and I, I was able to settle in after just a couple of innings. But I, I'm serious. It was pretty emotional for me. I was pretty nervous. It felt like the lead-up to a World Series game. And, and a big reason for that is he had been out for so long. He had been injured. I, I wanted that to go well. I wanted him to do well. He was sick. He had the flu. He felt awful leading up to the game. And then the day of the game, he finally felt a little bit better. But coming off the flu, there was just so much going on that I was a nervous wreck. I have no fingernails. But when all was said and done, the game started. The first matchup, the first at-bat with my brother back on the mound, was against Shohei Otani because of course it was. For a year now on this show, we have been doing This Week and Shohei Otani News, and I have become his biggest fan in the entire world, rightfully so. If you guys don't know how big of a fans we are here at Flippin' Bats, you will learn. But rightfully so. And now Justin comes back, and his first at bat, he faces Shohei. He strikes him out 0 for 3, Shohei Otani was on the night 0 for 3 with three strikeouts two of which were looking. Justin ended up throwing five innings, seven strikeouts, three hits, and one run that came off the Jared Walsh homer. What more could you ask for? It was incredible. It was an awesome night. He threw so well. Everybody, in terms of my family, was there on hand to watch it. We were all ecstatic. But the the emotions leading up to it is what made it so special. It had been almost two years since Justin had pitched in a game, since I would gotten to see my brother on the mound. He had been through a lot. He had the injury. He was rehabbing. He missed the playoffs. He missed the World Series last year with the Astros. And now he was back. And it was a really, really cool night to be a part of. He ended up getting the loss. On Friday night, the Astros scored 13 runs. On Saturday night when Justin pitched, zero runs. And that, my friends, is baseball. That is just how it goes. No runs the night Justin scored. He ended up losing. They lost the game two to nothing. But I'm just so happy he threw well. Which leads me into this Astros team as a whole. I was extremely impressed with the Houston Astros opening week. Extremely. This team is elite. I picked them to win the AL West. I feel one even better about that. The Houston Astros blew me away watching them. Offensively, so deep. Alex Bregman is back. He is healthy. I got to talk to him down on the field post-game after one of the games. Jeremy Pena stepping in at shortstop. and. Let me say this, because Carlos Correa leaving was a massive part of this offseason and a massive part of people's projection of the Astros this year. But Jeremy Pena steps in, and the second game of his career has three hits. Hits a home run, a double, a homer and a double in the same inning. Also singles in the game, a three-hit game. His home run came with his parents being interviewed in the stands. I am a sucker for that sort of stuff. But baseball just has an incredible way of telling the most incredible stories. And Jeremy Pena for his first big league home run had his parents in the stands getting interviewed. If you haven't seen the video of it, you need to. It was incredible. That moment was incredible. And right after the game, Another incredible moment. I was one of the first people to talk to Jeremy Pena in the entire world after his first career home run, his first career hit, his first career three-hit game. Post-game, I was able to talk to him about all of that. That was really cool. The starting pitching of this team, from Valdez, was lights out. Jake Odorizzi, after giving up two runs in the first, settled down and threw really well. Justin Verlander, one run in five innings. Jose Urquidy, one run. In four games in this opening series against the Angels, who are a good offensive team, in four games, the starting pitching of the Houston Astros gave up four runs. That's it. Offensively, Kyle Tucker in the 6 hole. An MVP candidate kind of guy. Friend of the show. In the sixth hole. I mean, the offense is deep. The starting pitching was great. The bullpen was good. The defense was good. Threw out a couple of guys at home plate. Michael Brantley in left field threw out a guy at home. Kyle Tucker in right field threw out a guy at home. This team, opening weekend, showed themselves to be great, elite, if anybody was worried about the loss of Carlos Correa. And I will say this, losing Carlos Correa is never a good thing for a team. But what the Astros have done is they found their shortstop in a rookie that is able to get the job done. He is not Carlos Correa. He shouldn't be expected to be Carlos Correa. But he is a guy that can hit in the eight or nine hole in this lineup and produce. And that's all you can ask for. Him stepping in was incredible. But the whole weekend was incredible. Being able to have live shows on the field, the same field that my brother was working on for the first time in two years, was awesome. It was emotional for me. It was emotional for my family. And opening weekend was a weekend that I will never forget in my entire life. But Justin is back, and the Houston Astros, they're elite. Let's move on over to second base and talk about the New York Yankees. If you are a fan of the New York Yankees, you are in for a ride this year. And it's going to be similar to years past. There are going to be a lot of strikeouts and there are going to be a lot of homers. And that immediately started this year. Giancarlo Stanton, the first two games of the year, couple home runs. DJ LeMahieu gets on the board early with a home run. Anthony Rizzo, two home runs. The first baseman, might I add, that Yankees fans didn't want. They wanted Freddie Freeman. They wanted Matt Olson. Anthony Rizzo steps in, and the first two games of the year hits a couple of homers. Josh Donaldson, who I am a big fan of for this Yankees team, and in my season preview, I named Josh Donaldson my AL East Newcomer of the Year, just meaning that I love what he's bringing to this team. I think he makes a difference. I think he was born to play in pinstripes. That's his personality. Immediately comes in and makes a difference. Opening day walks it off for the New York Yankees. Their first opening day walk-off in 57 years. The first since Yogi Berra. Wild. Madness. But it's not all roses and sunshine with this New York Yankees team. They have problems. And they have the same sort of problems that they have had for the last few years. They are going to strike out at a historic pace. I mean, they could, stri- they could break the all-time record for strikeouts offensively in a single season. They're not going to be the most fun team in the world to watch. They are good. The Yankees are good. They're going to win a lot of games, and they're going to be right in the thick of it in the AL East when all is said and done. But I, I view this as, a, as I step back and try and think of this as a fan of the Yankees. And, I mean, it's all long balls and strikeouts. There's not a ton of action going on in most of these games if you're a Yankees fan. I mean, you, you better stay tuned because they could hit a home run at any second. But other than that, they're going to punch out a lot and there's going to be a lot of quick innings. But they did impress me. They did impress me opening week. They play the Red Sox, who are fantastic offensively. They take two of three. The bullpen, specifically Aroldis Chapman, who has sort of become a question mark at the back end of the bullpen. Certainly last year was a, a, a worry. But he looked good. The relief pitching looked good. Those are all pluses for this Yankees team. So this by no means is a The Yankees are in trouble. No, it's just this Yankees team after an offseason where they didn't do what many fans wanted them to do, really didn't do anything in terms of the stars. The New York Yankees that I grew up watching signed whoever they wanted. You know who the Yankees wanted, or at least Yankees fans wanted, this offseason? Carlos Correa, Freddie Freeman, Matt Olson. Trevor Story, Corey Seager, they got none of them, not a single one. So this Yankees team is going to be similar to those Yankees teams of years past that we've seen, as in the last couple of years. A lot of strikeouts, dominance at the top of the rotation with Garrett Cole, Fuego in the back end of the bullpen with Eraldis Chapman, but a lot of strikeouts and a lot of home runs. And that's this New York Yankees team. That is the New York Yankees team of 2022. With the addition of Josh Donaldson, who I I will add on this a little bit, I do really like him. He brings this fire, this passion, this energy to the New York Yankees that they have desperately needed. And we immediately saw it pay dividends. So this is a similar team to years past. Add in Josh Donaldson, add in Isaiah Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. But in terms of the big stars, the big free agents, this 22 New York Yankees team is just as, as it is in years past. And they haven't won a World Series in over a decade. Is this the team to do it? Well, that's to be seen in the future. But we have a similar team. And they're going to have to make some moves at the deadline if they want to make themselves and put themselves over that leap of where they have been in years past. Let's move on to third base and talk about a couple of really, really exciting teams. The Toronto Blue Jays and the Philadelphia Phillies. Now why are they here? Well, I have my power rankings to get to in a little while and neither of them are at the very top. So why are we talking about them? Well, If there was a list for most exciting teams in baseball, these two would be at the top. They absolutely mash, and they give up a lot of runs. Let's start with the Blue Jays, opening series against the Texas Rangers. They start the year. They get down quick in the first game. They come back, and they absolutely mash. Everybody's hitting homers. Everybody. They were down 7-0. They come back and win big. This is a team that I predicted to win the World Series, this Toronto Blue Jays team. So, yes, it's good to see what they're doing offensively, but I was a big believer in this pitching staff and opening series, oh boy, it did not show itself to be very good. They gave up 23 runs to the Texas Rangers but they end up winning the series they end up doing great offensively the offensive numbers are there but the pitching did worry me a little bit they get down they get a 6-1 lead late in the series I believe it was the Sunday game they're up 6-1 in the game they ended up losing the game 12-6 I mean Pitching, a little sketchy. Offense, incredible. That is the Blue Jays in the opening series. Now, they did go into Yankee Stadium and shut them out at Yankee Stadium. They won 3 to nothing. But just the excitement level around this team. This team deserves the Rogers Center. It was rocking. And if you remember, for the last couple of years, they haven't been able to start their season in their home stadium due to COVID. Now they did. Now they got to. And the Rogers Center was rocking. This team, the Blue Jays, deserves that, deserves the fan base that they have. The fan base, well, they deserve the team they have on the field. They're fun. They're really exciting. And so are the Philadelphia Phillies. I tuned in to watch this Phillies team first at bat of the year. Newcomer, Kyle Schwarber, leads off the game with a bomb. And you immediately just think this offense is going to be incredible. By the way, this helps my prediction. I had a prediction of Schwarber, Castellanos, and Harper were going to combine to hit 120-plus home runs this year. So first at bat of the year, Kyle Schwarber comes through there. But it just became apparent watching this team that they're going to rake and they're never going to be out of games ever. The pitching can be a little sketchy. The defense definitely not great. Alec Boehm over at third base got the yips the other night. Three throwing errors in the game. That's not good. The defense isn't going to be great. but. If you're putting up runs in bunches as this team can, one, they're going to win games, but two, they're just so exciting to watch. Schwarber is exciting. Castellanos just brings an energy and a passion to this team that embodies Philly, honestly, what Philadelphia is all about. Same with Harper. So yeah, they're going to give up runs. They didn't sweep the Oakland A's, but they're never out of games. And we saw that on Monday. We saw that when they were down to the New York Mets, 4-0 in the eighth inning, and they come back and win 5-4. So these two teams, the Blue Jays and the Phillies, yeah, they, they have some work. They're good, but they are so exciting and they are making baseball fun. That's what this show is about. That's what I love. And when anybody is doing it, I promise you, I am going to talk about it. Those two teams make baseball fun. We love that. And so does Carlos Correa, by the way, who we're going to talk to in just a little while. But let's round third and head on home and talk about the big free agents from the off-season, a free agent report card. A little update for you all that aren't able to watch every single game, that that know certain free agents sign places, but don't really know what's going on. Now listen, it's a small sample size. I hear you. I get it. With all of this stuff, free agent report card, my power rankings that we'll get to in a little while, it is a small sample size, but a sample size nonetheless. So let's get into it, and let's start first with Corey Seager of now the Texas Rangers. Corey Seager gets an A thus far. He's hitting 389 through a few games into the year, multiple RBIs, a lot of runs scored. Not sure if you saw it the other day. He had this really weird hit where it looked like he barreled up a ball to the opposite field, and his bat snapped between his hands. I've never seen that. I've played a lot of baseball in my day. I've played five years professionally. I have never seen a bat just snap right in between a guy's hands. But nonetheless, it was a hit. It was an RBI. Corey Seeger's getting it done down there in Texas. He gets an A. Next up on this list, Freddie Freeman of now the Los Angeles Dodgers. Freddie Freeman gets a C this far. He's batting 167, no home runs, no RBIs. But why a C? Well, one, smaller sample size, but he's Freddie Freeman. And now he brings this this Los Angeles Dodgers team a totally new dynamic. He is great for the game of baseball. He's great for this Dodgers team and what he brings to the lineup, just plopping him right on into the middle of this lineup, he's going to be good. Now, he's at a C right now because the numbers aren't there. But the force that he brings into this lineup, the force that he is that you can just put right in the middle, he's going to make a difference, and he already is making a difference for the team. The Dodgers didn't have a great opening series, but Freddie Freeman will be good. And just the fact that he's in that lineup makes everybody else around him that much better. That's why Freddie gets a C. Next up on the list, Trevor Story of the Boston Red Sox. Also, a C grade. I don't know about you guys, but C's are are average. I would come home with a C, and my mom wouldn't be thrilled. But it's not great. It's not bad. That's where Trevor Story is. Batting 125, no home runs, no RBIs. Now, for him, you might be saying, well, Trevor Story, why is he at a C? Well, he is sick as a dog. He's got the stomach bug, the flu, whatever is going around. Mike Trout has it. He's missing games. Justin Verlander has it. He was really not feeling well leading up to his start. Now Trevor Story has it. He's only played in two games. He's switched positions. He's now a second baseman. So, look, offensively, the stats in two games, not great. He could get a hit to lead off the next game, and he's going to be hitting over 200. So let's not worry about the offense for Trevor Story. But he adds a new dynamic to that team. He's playing second base. He's making plays there, and he doesn't feel great. Give the guy a break. Let's give him a C, okay? Let's move on and talk about Nick Castellanos of now the Philadelphia Phillies. Now he is batting 200, but I'm giving him a B minus. He has a home run. He has three RBIs. He had a big double down the line, scoring Bryce Harper. And he had a big base running day uh, the other night. Scoring from first, he was rolling. Castellanos isn't known for his speed. He scored a big run late in that game. So a B minus for him. New team, new place, big home run, big RBI double, running the base as well. And he gets just a little bump because he's a friend of the pod. Nick Cassianos came on last year as well. But all joking aside, I really I give him a B minus. The home run was huge. Cassianos will be fine. And last but not least on our Report card, our free agent report card. Carlos Correa, today's guest, who we are now minutes away from hearing. Carlos Correa gets a B plus. He has a bomb that he hit into the third deck. <laughs> third deck in Minnesota. That was an absolute bomb. He's been playing good defense. He got a hit in his first at-bat as a Minnesota twin. And just seeing him in that same lineup with Byron Buxton has been a blast. But look, this has been one of the, the longest home runs of the year. I believe Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s home run is the longest of the year. But Correa's is right behind him. The third deck, he's playing good defense. We know how good he is defensively. That's the brilliant thing about having a guy like this on your team. If he's not clicking offensively at all times, it's okay. Because this guy's a platinum glove award winner. He's a gold glove award winner as well. The accolades go on, but Carlos is fine. He's hitting well, the bomb, the single. Carlos Correa gets a B+. Plus. And now, my friends, it is time to bring in one friend, one what time is it? I'm wearing his shirt. It is Carlos Correa time. Let's bring him in. Carlos, thank you so much for joining me, man.
2: No, bro. It's a, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. We go way back, so, you know, you shoot me that text. I had to be on for my brother.
1: <laughs> I appreciate that, man. L- let's start with being a dad. One, what an off season for you. But first off, congratulations on being a dad. What has that been like?
2: that's been crazy man it's it's been it's been surreal it's been great um you know throughout the whole free free agency process you know be being able to be there with with my son and spending time with him and that extra time that I got because of the lockout, it it was great um it's been growing man he's been growing fast um he's just he's just a he's a little beast man he's like seventeen pounds already <laughs> and he's only four months i mean the kid is it's, it's big, so I'm excited. Hopefully, he wants to play baseball.
1: I think you got some. I think you got some added dad strength in you, by the way. You just hit a home run that, I mean, the third deck in Minnesota. I didn't know you. That's some. That's some pop right there. That's some dad strength
2: pop. You saw that, brother. You saw that? it. Was, <laughs> it was a good one. It was a good one for sure. <laughs> I got it good. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's been fun for here playing in front of the fans here. They love baseball. Um, we have a really good team, a winning team. So I'm excited all this year.
1: So let's start with this offseason. Obviously, you become a dad. That's a big part of it. But this was a massive, massive offseason for you. You become a free agent. You had spent your entire career in Houston, six years in the big leagues at that point in Houston, and then you become a free agent. In in a nutshell, what was the emotions behind this offseason for you?
2: Yeah, it was definitely crazy. Um, you know, it was, it was different because of the lockout. And after a the lockout, there was not like enough time to like get negotiations going again. Teams were trying to figure out, you know, the teams and all that. Um, but at the same time, it was fun, man. It was fun um, to go through the process, talk to different teams and all that. And at the same time, it was a little less stressful because of my son, like I told you. Spent some time with him. I was able to, you know, um, spend quality time in the offseason, get the body ready. So it was, it was great.
1: So when the entire world has tweet notifications on from Ken Rosenthal, Jeff Passon, Bob Nightingale, all those and every the world is freaking out waiting for you Carlos. You were the you were the big piece this offseason to sign. What what were you doing during that time? Like were you, did you have notifications on? Were you in contact with the, your agent? How were you doing during that time when everybody else was freaking out?
2: No, I was definitely in contact with, with my agent, but at the same time I was trying to chill. Um, I'll go work out in the mornings, then I'll come back home um, later that that day. Spend time with Kylo, and then when he will go down, I'll watch some movies and you know <laughs> spend some time with wifey. Uh, maybe we'll grab dinner and have our parents take care of Kylo. Um, so you know we had a normal off season. Uh, you know besides the conversations with my agent and all that, it was it was pretty chill. So um, you know we were able to enjoy it because of her son. So it was great.
1: Ultimately, you end up signing with the Minnesota Twins. Why? Why was that the perfect fit for you?
2: Well, it's a, it's a place that I love to play the contract structure obviously worked out for us. Um, it's a place that, that that I love playing at I hit very well there and uh, you know um, when I talked to the team they wanted to take that step forward uh, and into building a championship culture, a championship organization and that was a challenge that I was very interested in um, you know we had we um, Daring and Tad, they do, they've done a great job of putting a team together so we can succeed. Um, our first series against the Mariners was a really good one. We lost two close games, and then we won the next two. Um, I think our lineup is great. Our defense is great. Our pitching has done an outstanding job. So I'm i am excited about this year, man. The, the Minnesota Twins, um, we, we have a good team, and, and we're ready to compete.
1: There's a guy that you went one and two in the draft with there, Byron Buxton, who, in my opinion, is... Incredible. An MVP caliber of player. And you guys went back to back in your draft class years ago. Did that play a factor in going there? And, and what do you think about Byron Buxton?
2: Well, Byron is a guy that I respect a lot. Um, obviously, we go way back since 2012, then playing in the minor leagues against um, each other a lot. Um, I get to see him grow as, as the person that he is today and the player that he is today. And, you know, getting to watch him closely. When you talk about talent in the big leagues, I don't think there's i I don't think there's anybody more talented than him. Um, you know, he's the fastest. He plays the best center fielder out there in the, in the league. Um, the last two years, when you look at the, his WRC plus is through a roof. I think he leads the league since 2020 in WRC plus and, you know, the game he's played in. So, you know, when you talk about talent, that guy is the guy and, uh, you know, he's putting in the work. Um, he's really focused this year. Uh, he's going to stay on the field. He's taking care of his body very well. So, you know, MVP season for sure. I, I agree with you. He's he's an MVP caliber player, 100%. I, I love when
1: you talk about stats like that, WRC+, Plus, and, and you're one of the guys that you've been doing it for a little while now, but metrics are going that way. Batting average to to many is becoming a thing of the past. We're... What, what stats do you look at when you're looking at a guy, when you're looking at yourself to see the production that is out there, what are some of your favorite stats? Cause I've always loved Carlos, listening to your interview and hear you talking about guys and their advanced metrics. It's awesome.
2: Yeah, for me, you know, WRC plus OPS plus, um, WOBA, uh, those are the stats that are, are important, um, in the game of baseball today. Um, obviously, I, I I love defense also. So you know, I look at DRS UCR, range factor, and all that also. Um, but when we talk about offense, those those stats are really important. Why? Because you know, back then we look at average. We we looked at home runs, RBIs, and you know, they're cool. But you know, the players that play hitter-friendly ballparks are obviously gonna have more home runs. They're gonna have a better batting average. They're gonna that players that don't play in a hitter friendly ballpark. Now, when you look at OPS plus, it takes the ballpark into consideration. So whatever the average OPS is at that ballpark, it takes all that into consideration. It tells you how really um, how much better the hitter is than the average. So, you know, for me, those are the stats that are really important.
1: Yeah, I believe you when you say uh, defense is important to you as well. I saw a pretty sweet picture yesterday, Carlos, of you holding the gold (laughs) glove and the platinum glove for those that are unaware. The Platinum Glove is the best defender in baseball. Gold Glove is the best defender at that position. Platinum is the best defender in baseball. How important—not not the accolades, but how important is defense to you? And that was—that was pretty awesome to see. So, congrats on those two awards.
2: Thank you, brother. I, I really appreciate that. Um, defense is really important uh, to me and, and and to our team. You know, that's something I preach wherever I go. Um, if you play great defense, you have way better chance of winning ball games. you know those extra outs can hurt you um, at the end of the game. Um, so defense is key and you know when when we take practice, we take practice like um, it's like game speed, right? We, we don't go through the motions, we try to make it as as game speed as, as as much as we can. And it's something I enjoy doing man making a cool play for your pitcher in a key situation. I mean, I get super hype, it's really important. it helps you win ball games, but at the same time, you know when you hit a home run, like you help the team win, and yeah, it's, it's it's like a personal stat. But when you save a run, it's like also for the pitcher, right? Yeah. So you're doing something for <laughs> for your pitcher, for your teammates. So it's also great.
1: Uh, so what point was the Minnesota Twins? Real players this off season. Obviously, this was almost like a three-part off season. There was before the lockout, there was the lockout, and then there was post lockout. Were the Twins always a real possibility, a real player, or did that come along post lockout?
2: Oh, the Twins were a real possibility that, that same day. Um, oh wow! You know, we had a yeah, we had a conversation that day uh, around noon, and then. By 11 p.m., I was signing already, so <laughs> things moved fast. Um, they knew what I wanted from the moment we started talking. Uh, we worked it out. We had a Zoom call. We talked, and right away, 10, 11 hours maybe at most, the deal was done. So it was that day. We would never talked to the Twins before. That day, we had a conversation with them. That day, we made the decision.
1: That's that's really cool. I didn't know it happened that quick. So you, you we heard a lot throughout the offseason of where you were going to go and what teams were super interested. And one of them that comes to mind is the New York Yankees. Everybody was saying, oh, it's the perfect fit. And then we hear recently Cashman come out and say there was never an offer. Carlos, is that true? Was there really never an offer from the New York Yankees at any point?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. There was never an offer. There were conversations, but never an offer. All right. So
1: was there, um, Let's see, I, I had heard a good bit um, pre, pre-lockout that the, the, the Chicago Cubs were involved. And then, Carlos, you, you had um, an agency switch. So that, I, I wanted to ask you about that. You switched to, to Scott Boris. What was the, the process of switching agents? And you obviously, there's a lot that goes on. You don't need to obviously throw mm-hmm. anybody under the bus. But what was the process of switching agents like right in the middle of all of this?
2: Yeah, it was, it was, it was crazy. It was, uh, it was, uh, I think it was during the lockout or right before the lockout. Uh, I can't quite remember, um, but made the decision, switched over, started working with Scott. Um, he he knew what I wanted and uh, he got it done. Um, you know, I was, I was looking after the lockout, there was, there was no long terms out there. There was not enough time. So, um, you know, he knew, he knew what I wanted. I wanted some short term, A, B opt-outs and a team that that wanted to win and uh, the Minnesota uh, when we talked to Minnesota they offer all that and and more and uh, you know I made the decision it was it was pretty easy to make that decision at that point. So
1: the lockout really did affect your mindset from the deal that at least I thought you deserved I I've, I've been a proponent of you getting 300 plus million ever since you became a free agent I think you deserve that and more but the lockout kind of shifted your mindset and coming out of that you said I want a shorter deal I want opt-outs I want a high AV and then go from there
2: yeah you know the, the lockout was uh, changed just the landscape of, of free agency yeah. this year um, for sure um, so you know the uh, Minnesota twins they really wanted me they want to win I'm here to help the team win. I'm excited to be a part of this organization. And, you know, um, it was a first great series. So we're excited. We had a great spring. Um, we're looking forward to a great season and, you know, for a playoff run. So
1: I want to go back to your days with the Astros. Um, you were there for a while, and I'm, I'm sure it will forever hold a place near and dear in your heart. What are some of your, when you look back on your years there and your time there as a player or just as somebody living there, what are some of your fondest memories from playing in Houston and being a Houston Astro?
2: Well, the fondest memories, I would say just spending time um, with the guys that I played with for, you know, six, seven years. You know, when you talk about Tuve, Bregman, Julie, you know, Lance, you um, all the friendships and, and, and all the, 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 the great relationships and the, the family culture that we built there. Um, you know, that's, that's something that I will always take with me wherever I go. Um, and also, you know, all the coaches that I learned from and, and that made me a better player. Um, you know, I'm forever grateful for you know, our hitting coaches, you know, Sintron, our infield coach, Joe Espada, that you know, helped me win that platinum glove and that gold glove this year with, you know, hard work during spring training, during the regular season. Um a advisors and everything. So, you know, it's just a great organization from top to bottom and uh I'm forever grateful of for my time there.
1: I gotta ask about this. I'm wearing the shirt that says what time is it? And <laughs> in the playoffs last year you hit that home run and immediately did the celebration. Where did that come from?
2: It came out of nowhere, bro. <laughs> I did it. I had the serious things that white sucks and then the guy told me, Hey, whenever you do something cool, you gotta do that again. That's a that's a cool Sally. Um and then when I hit the homer in, I think it was the seventh inning, to give us the lead, you know, it just it just popped up and it was spontaneous. I mean, I I just did it right there. <laughs> you know, next time next time I go to my locker after the game, I check Twitter. It's it's going viral. Everybody's talking about it. I'm like, oh my god, what <laughs> did I just do? <laughs> but I guess it was cool. So. Um, it it was fun. It was fun times.
1: Yeah. And now fast forward a few months later and you got somebody wearing the, wearing the shirt with your celebration on it. (laughs) Um, so you mentioned, uh, you mentioned a lot of the coaches. Oh,
2: I, I, I saw it was on the MLB the show game. So that was pretty cool. It is an MLB
1: the show. The the new game just came out. Uh, MLB the show 22 and that one, the first time I hit a home run with you in the game, it happened, I guess I hit like a no doubter and it happened. And I was like, this is sick. So something that was spontaneous comes out, and now it's in a video game. There's a lot of them in the game, by the way. What, What is one of your favorite home run celebrations, if, if you had one, whether it be in the league now or somebody from the past?
2: Ooh, I had some good ones. I had uh, Tommy Lawler um, as, a, as a coach, infield coach in the minor leagues, and I remember when he hit that homer back in the day that he flipped it bat all the way <laughs> super high and at the time it was the most disrespectful thing to do you know the old timer um, but he did it anyways uh, and he wasn't a guy that hit many homers so uh, for me that's that's one of the coolest because you know you get this skinny small guy hitting a homer and then pimping it like he's Barry Bonds I mean that was pretty cool and Tommy's a great guy so I, I had a great time with him.
1: I mean at the time like you said that was considered disrespectful. Now, in this day and age, it doesn't feel like it. The name of my show, Carlos, is flipping Bats. Is flipping Bats, yeah. is pitchers strutting around the mound, is all that stuff good for the game of baseball?
2: Absolutely, man. Absolutely. 100%. I mean, we're, we're, we're at a point right now that the game is only getting younger and younger and younger, right? Um, and you want these young guys to have fun. Right, that's 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 the end of it. If you strike me out with the bases loaded and you want to scream and do whatever, that's fine. That's cool. You know, you struck me out. You you earned that. And then if I take you deep with the bases loaded to win the game, you know, I can I can also celebrate with my team. It's not disrespect to the pitcher. It's more of a celebration with your teammates. It's the way I see it. Every time you know I put my hand on the ear or I did the, it's like time celebration. You know, it's it's to celebrate with my teammates and have a good time and get the fans involved and, uh, you know, react to, to those things. It's never to show up the picture or, or disrespect them in any way, shape, or form. So, you know, for me, it's, it's important for the game to, you know, keep moving forward and let the players have fun, to let them have a good time, let them be themselves, because um, the game is, is very young, and there's a lot of young talent coming up.
1: Who are some of those young players? Because it, it feels like now more than ever, there are so many young players, so many young guys playing with fun, playing with swag, flipping their bats and stuff. Who are some young players that you watch around the league that you just really enjoy watching?
2: Yeah, I, w- I enjoy watching Tatis a lot. I enjoy watching Vlad um, do his thing. Um, I got to watch Julio Rodriguez, this series, and the kid has, oh, yeah. has some talent, man. That kid's going to be special too. Um, Bobby Witt, you know, um, I played I, play, I played against him on, a, you know, one of those spring training games that, that you played right before the season. We went to Kansas City. He played two exhibition oh, yeah, yeah, games yeah. Um, before the season. I got to see him make a couple of diving plays. And then, you know, he had like three barrels in one game. And I was like, wow, this kid's really good. And now I see him in the big leagues, you know, um, making a nice play at home plate and then hitting that double to win. You know, there's a lot of special players, and that's great for the game, you know. Uh, young players that are not getting holed up. Uh, like some of us did, um, you know, because super two status and yeah. arbitration and all that, you know it's, it's cool it's it's cool that we get to see that fought for that uh, throughout the CBA and it's cool to see so many players getting called up right after spring training. so that's 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 pretty cool.
1: Three barrels in a game, Carlos, I barely had three barrels in my entire career. Uh,
2: <laughs> I saw one against your brother. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I remember that one.
1: Yeah, I remember that one, too. That was was, a
2: sensitive subject for him, so let's not talk about that. I know.
1: Last time (laughs) time I talked about it on social media, he blocked me for like a month and wouldn't talk to me on social media. (laughs) Um, You you mentioned the the new CBA and Super 2, and I was wondering this because we did see a lot of rookies come up this year. um, But in my opinion, this rookie class might go down as one of the greatest we've seen. So I was wondering in my head, are we seeing a lot of these guys make the team because of the new CBA? Do we think that really made a difference or were they just so talented that they they were going to make opening day roster, whether this new CBA addressed that issue or not?
2: I think the new CBA helped. You know, there's some teams out there that are not ready to compete and they're still calling out their prospects and st- starting their clock. So. You know, in the past, you will see teams that were not ready to compete and they would just keep their prospects down until they're ready to invest and, and, and build a championship team. And that way they will call them up and, and get to, to keep them for six, seven years. Um, so I think it definitely helped. You know, you look at the case of Bobby Witt getting called up without, you know, like the the, the Chris Bryant treatment or, yeah. or you know, me, I got called up weeks later just so I wouldn't make Super 2 and all that. And I think the, C, the new CBA helps a lot. So. Very happy for the young players. Again, like I said, the game's only getting younger, so... In the CBA, you know, we, we, we try to, to, to help those younger players.
1: Yeah, I, I think it immediately showed dividends. And I was worried because the first big name that we know of, uh, O'Neill Cruz, we see at the end of spring training, he's hitting like 400 with a couple bombs and they send him down. And I'm like, oh, God, nobody's going to care at all. And then uh, everybody that I thought would make it started making teams. Julio Rodriguez, Spencer Torkelson, uh, Bobby mm-hmm. Witt Jr. So I definitely think that certainly helped. Um, so, so now you you're in Minnesota and you were just talking about with Houston, a lot of the, the coaches and managers that you had that helped you along the way. You've been under you've had A.J. Hinch as a manager. You had Dusty Baker briefly as a manager. And now you have Rocco Baldelli. Talk about Rocco Baldelli a little bit and the manager that he is. And I know you've just gotten there and you're just getting used to him. But how has that been playing under him?
2: Oh, it's been great. Um I've gotten so lucky to play for great managers uh throughout my entire career. Like you said AJ, amazing manager Dusty, you know, we all know the legend that he is. And now playing for Rocco, man, he's he's a great communicator. He's you know, he's always there for us. I've had some great conversations with him. Um so I'm really excited to spend a full year playing for him. He's a uh, he's, he's one of the good ones also, so I'm very excited to be to be part of his team.
1: Yeah. Speaking of AJ, I just remembered this. I Early on in the offseason, that picture came out of you and AJ literally just grabbing lunch, Carlos. That's all it was. I know you guys are friends. I know you guys still talk, and I know you guys will always have a mutual respect. Was there any more to that lunch? Was there any uh, of, of AJ trying to say, hey, come to Detroit,
2: Carlos? Uh, you know, definitely there were, there were, there was, it was a nice conversation that AJ and I had. It's like, it's a, AJ is a person that I respect a lot Um, he I learned a lot from him you know going off as a rookie having a manager like him to you know help me gain the confidence that I needed to go out there and perform at the biggest stage um, definitely I I got that respect a lot so it was was a nice friendly uh, breakfast and uh, you know we had some good conversations but uh, we just leave it at that
1: was it ultimately difficult Carlos I I know when this season ended and um, I know how Jim Crane feels about long-term deals, and he really just doesn't like to do it. So the writing was kind of on the wall that you'd end up being a free agent and moving on, and it seemed like that was going to happen. But was it difficult to ultimately make the decision to leave Houston?
2: Uh, it's always difficult, you know. If, if it's not, then you don't care, right? So. Um, It's always difficult to make a decision, um, especially, you know, when you have a newborn and you're going to make a decision where he's probably going to end up growing up there and all that. But at the same time, we got we all players got to understand how the business works. And, uh, you know, sometimes you stay, sometimes you don't. And uh, you got to learn how to move on at some point. Right. So right now, I mean, it's sort of twin. I'm very happy um, where I am right now. I'm very excited with this team and this new season. Um, and for me and my family, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's time to, to move on and, and focus on, on our new team and help build a championship culture here. And that's what we want to do here. I
1: feel like we're starting to see it more and more around baseball. And it's starting to become apparent to the public as well how, um, how business oriented the game of baseball is. I mean, Freddie Freeman is... And Atlanta, Brave for life, and they don't re-sign him. He moves on. Aaron Judge, very vocal about wanting to re-sign in New York, and that didn't get done. Anthony Rizzo comes out and says, hey, at the end of, this, at the, end of the day, this is a business, and us players, you know, there, there's not a lot of loyalty. you got to get your money when you can, and you got to go somewhere that believes in you and you want to play in. And it seems like more and more that's becoming public of it is really, at the end of the day, a business.
2: Yeah, definitely. It's it's a business and there can never be feelings involved, right? Mm -hmm. And in this business, you know, uh, I will always love um, the Houston Astros Organization, Jim, James, everybody. Um, And I I also happen to understand the business and how it works. So, you know, teams are going to do whatever they think is best for them. And, uh, you know, players got to go wherever they think they're going to be happy and they're going to be, you know, they're going to be able to play great. So for me, it's just uh, for us players understanding how the business works, and at the end of the day, no hard feelings. Just go out there, play your game, um, and play with passion. Play, be happy, and and help your team win. I
1: have a couple of questions that I like to ask everybody, and and one of them that I always enjoy, especially talking to guys that are the best of the best, um, would be, what is the greatest game? that you have ever played in. And this is always fun because it can go back to little league. It can be in the big leagues. It can be, you, you know, for me in college, I had a three home run game one time. So for you, Ooh. yeah, had to throw that in there real quick. You know, just a little, just a little <laughs> for you in your life. <laughs> what is <laughs> what is the greatest game that you can remember ever being a part of and playing
2: in? Ooh, damn, that's, that's a tough one. I there, there's been some great games. Wow. I mean, when I when I when I hit a walk up homer for me, those those are the best games, especially in the postseason. Uh. And uh, I've been able to have two of them. So I would say that one in I guess the Yankees in 2019 game two, that was pretty special. Also, the one against Tampa Bay, that was really special. So I, I got to say those walk up homers in the playoffs. They hit different there. There's something else. So, yeah, I, I got to pick those.
1: Look, I don't want to. I don't want to take any credit for those, but both of those I was in attendance for. So I don't know if there's something going on. And <laughs> every game that that is your best, I'm a part of. You just need to. I just need to come to a bunch of Minnesota Twins this game year this year, Carlos. Lovely.
2: Um, send me send me your date of birth and your full name <laughs> so I can book you a flight. <laughs> uh,
1: okay, if you uh, if you weren't a Major League Baseball player, what would you be?
2: Oof! I think my dad always tells me, I think I would have been a lawyer. Um, I like the, I like, I like the back and forth. I like the, the arguments. I like, um, you know, proving a point, Um, you know, when it comes to baseball, when it comes to stats, when it comes to whatever, I've always liked that. I enjoy that. Um, And I'm not the guy that will ever get mad. So I like to get into those type of arguments. I think lawyer would have been a, a good, a good profession for me. Um, also I, I you know I like I like school I like school I enjoy being in school I enjoy you know having good grades and you know studying for the SAT and all that um, so I think I think it would be it, w- it would have been cool but I'm playing baseball so I'm not going to complain um, because I get to play baseball every day it's, it's a lot more fun to play baseball than to be reading papers all day <laughs> it, it
1: still comes out in your in your baseball life too if somebody comes to you with a weak ass stat like batting average you're like <laughs> let me tell you about WRC plus and woba and you can get into an argument that way it still works out for you
2: exactly exactly uh, yeah I, I, I have a lot of those arguments uh, throughout the baseball season Um you know, this this people that oh, batting average and people uh, you know RBI's. Oh, he only had ninety RBI's. How can he win MVP with ninety RBI's? And I'm like, and that's where I go. <laughs> and I enjoy I enjoy those arguments. Try to make it fun. Obviously, I don't want anybody getting mad at it or coming across like, you know, it's uh. But um, I like to make it fun with my teammates. With you know, I I talk to a lot of players around the league um, on the phone about the, the new analytics because, you know, you, we got to be informed, right? The yeah. only way to get better is, you know, putting in the work and also you got to have the right information. So if you have the right information and you understand how important walks are and how important, you know, the barrel rate is at and all that stuff, then you can go out there and, and try to do those things, especially on the defensive side of things. So, um, you know, it's, it's good to have that information.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like it's even more so becoming important because, you know, baseball can get very – like we said, it's a business, and these baseball players can be numbers on a piece of paper. So it's important to know those numbers so a team can't point at you and say, this is your batting average, this is your RBI. these are your RBIs, that's, that's the extent of your production. And you can go to them and, and other players you talk to and say, well, actually, it's a little deeper than that, and, and here's my actual production. So I feel like even more so, that's becoming really important.
2: Yeah yeah absolutely it's really important and uh, you know the, the more I talk to to the guys I meet and all that the more they they like get it and they understand and they want to apply it in the game um, so for me you know as much talent as a lot of players have some players don't have the right information so with the right information comes a better um, season for, for each individual.
1: Yeah you just mentioned uh, you know MVP and what it takes to become that one of my favorite players on the planet. Carlos is Shohei Otani, and you got to play against him. I didn't know that. Yeah, you might have heard. (laughs) You got to play against him last year close up when he was doing his thing. How cool was that? How awesome was it being on the field with him while he was doing what he was doing?
2: Yeah, um, it's fun to watch him, man. It's hard to not be a fan of what he's doing. And I know I said earlier, uh, that Byron is the most talented and, you know, I'm talking about just position players, but when you when you put Shohei tie into the equation, you know, there's, there, there hasn't been anybody as talented as him in, in the game, you know, he he can pitch, he can throw a hundred, he can run, he can beat you out on infield single. He can hit a 500 foot bomb. I mean, he can walk. He can do it all. So it's hard not to be a fan. And on top of that, I mean, The pitching and the hitting and just staying healthy for a full season, win MVP. I mean, that's something that people are taking for granted. The guy's pitching, the guy's hitting, the guy's out there pretty much every single day, and he manages to take care of his body, to stay healthy, put put up MVP numbers, and he's here to do it again this year. I mean, it's it's impressive. I know a lot of people said I was one of them that when he signed and he said, "Oh, I'm gonna pitch and I'm gonna hit." I was like, there's no way that anybody can do that. Like, I, I play every day, right? I'm a short sub. Yeah. You know, it's not the age, it's a It's a little different, but I play every day. And I know how tired you are after, you know, four, five, six games in a row, nine innings, diving here, diving there, you know, trying to steal a bag, hitting, running first to home, all the stuff. And on top of that pitching, when you look at the pitchers, <laughs> you know, they're icing their elbows after a start. They're sore the next day where they don't even throw. They can't even move. They're just getting treatment on their arms. I mean, this guy is pitching, and the next day he's hitting tanks. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't get better than that. So it's it's definitely very impressive. Huge fan of him. Everybody in the league is a fan of him. Everybody in the league loves the guy. So um, you know, he's inspiring a lot of people too. Maybe there's a lot more that would want to do that. Yeah. But I think there will only be one Shohei Otani.
1: Yeah, I, I always say this because I I did both in college. I was a pitcher and a hitter, and had I known Carlos that it was possible. I would have just continued to do it. I didn't throw a hundred. I threw like 88 and I didn't hit 50 bombs. I hit like 10, but still, if I knew it was possible, maybe I would have continued to do it, but I really do. Th- I, I think he is going to change the game of baseball. I think little kids can grow up and now have somebody to point to and say, well, I don't have to stop because Shohei Otani's doing it.
2: Exactly. You know, break, breaking barriers, right? He, he, it was impossible before him, right? I know Babe Ruth did it back in the day. Um, And that was very cool but in this modern era of baseball um, being able to strike people out throwing a hundred with a nasty slider and then you know hit tanks win MVP and all that I mean it's it's just special so he's definitely inspiring a lot of people and a lot of people will probably try to do that but you know it's, it's it's very tough it's it's very tough to do so you know even more kudos to him
1: Carlos I got a great idea for you now now that it's happening I know you throw 100 miles an hour across the infield, Carlos. You got a <laughs> rocket for an arm. Get up there on the mound. Let's see what you can do. How does that sound?
2: I asked AJ. He said no. <laughs> he said no chance. I asked Dusty. He called me crazy. I'm gonna ask Rocco see what he thinks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just, just keep, yeah, just keep asking one somebody. Inning, one inning. All it takes is one yes. One All it takes is We're one person. We're by a
2: lot. Just bring me in. You know, try to get three outs. If I don't get him, you know, you can bring the closer in, <laughs> but I just want in
1: it. Uh, so, offensively for you, in my opinion, and I hear people that will say, David Ortiz, in my opinion, Carlos, you are the most or one of the most clutch players in the history of this game. Uh, my question for you would be. What changes and how is it a mindset? Is it something you prepare for? What goes into preparing and coming up in the biggest moments of all time and coming through?
2: I think it's, it's visualizing and, and just reading the game. Um, you know, I, we face this pitchers so many times and you know, you remember how they got you out. You remember um, how you got them. Um, So it's just for me, it's just visualizing and reading the game, you know, there's some spots that I just feel they're going to throw this pitch. And uh, I visualize this pitch before I step on the box and what I want to do with it. And then when I see it, when they throw it, it's just, I just, I just react um, with my approach and what I'm trying to do. And it just happens, you know, the, the, the two homers that I've hit for walk-ups, I was visualizing that exact same pitch and doing that exact same thing. And, you know, when they threw the pitches, you know, I, I was able to do it. Um, the other walk-ups that I hit, um, I think I hit one against uh, Chapman in 2017. Um, you know, at that point, I was just trying to, to strike a pro, try to hit a line drive the other way, try to get a two with the third somehow. And, you know, I happened to hit over the second baseman. But, um, yeah, it's all about visualizing and, and mentally being ready for that situation.
1: That's awesome, man. A lot of, uh a lot of really good memories so one thanks for being so clutch it 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 involved a lot of awesome memories for for me as well carlos thank you so much for joining me man this has been awesome and i'm not just saying this we we go back a few years now, and you are genuinely one of one of the greatest guys in the game. And you're good people, and a good friend of mine, on top of being a fantastic athlete. So thank you for joining me. You will forever be a friend of the show. You're welcome back on whenever. Kill it this year, man. I am so pumped to watch you. Thanks for joining me.
2: Thank you, brother. Anytime. I appreciate you. Hey, and watch out for for a reliever rookie, uh, Joe Duran throwing at 102. I with saw that. Splinker. I mean, that guy is special, man. He's got special stuff. So, you know, um, keep an eye out for that guy. He's nasty.
1: I saw that. 102 is the hardest pitch, I think, in Twins history in the StatCast
2: era. It was. He's nasty. <laughs> he's nasty. He's got three elite uh, pitches, three-plus pitches. All right. He's very special. <laughs> All
1: right, my friend. Thanks again. I, I really, really appreciate it, man.
2: Thank you, brother. Right. Great time.
1: See ya. All right, and thanks to Carlos Correa for joining me. And now it is time for my favorite segment of all time this week in Shohei Ohtani News. It is back. We have real baseball to talk about, his pitching on opening day, his hitting, what is to come for him, and we will cover it all on this week in Shohei Ohtani News. Let's start with his opening day start, which was fantastic, in my opinion. Everybody seems to always worry about Shohei and his health when it comes to pitching. Well, man, he looked great. He looked healthy. He was throwing hard. He struck out nine guys in four and two-thirds innings. He looked real sharp. He just didn't get a ton of run support. He ends up getting the loss in that game. But, man, if this is what's to come for Shohei Otani this season on the mound, Who's to say he can't win the Cy Young Award? I know he doesn't pitch as much as everybody else, but the strikeout numbers will be there. They absolutely will be there. I love what I saw from him opening night. I love it. The crowd opening night, by the way, it was special. The whole night. The whole night was around, in my opinion, Shohei coming back his first game since he won the MVP award he's on the mound throwing great he's leading off that's another thing that Shohei was doing this week he's the leadoff batter for this Los Angeles Angels team I mean he has all the hype in the world he's pitching he's doing all this he pitches on opening day he gets off the mound and what does he do He leads off the next inning. The first player in history to start on the mound for opening day and lead off on opening day in the lineup. I I know that I say this a lot, and I know all last year we talked about it all the time. But this guy is breaking records every single day he's out there. This guy is doing things that have never been done every single day he's out there. And he did that on opening day. On Sunday, when he was hitting, he had a laser beam double down the line. Laser down the right field line. It was the hardest hit ball in the stat cast era for a left-handed hitter. Well, he's even—he's even bigger and stronger than he was last year when he was unanimously picked as the AL MVP. And now his first double of the year was the hardest one he's ever hit, and the hardest ball ever hit by a left-handed, by a left-hander since the Statcast era. I was able to be in person watching Shohei every game every game of that first series of the year. And it was special. It was truly special being there. Everything, everybody you talk to, everything you see is about Shohei. It was Shohei Otani bobblehead night. It was opening day, and he was doing something that's never been done before. It was Shohei Otani clear tote bag night on Sunday. They do it right there. They know what they have. They know they have a player that is doing things every day that are special, that people are going to remember forever and ever. We saw it immediately. My brother pitched on Saturday against Shohei Ohtani. And what he said after the game is that, yeah, I faced him a couple of years ago when he was in the league and before he got injured. But he wasn't the same player that he is now. He didn't have the same aura around him. He wasn't an icon like he is now. Now he's coming off an MVP award. Justin hasn't seen this player yet. He got to face him on Saturday. And what he said after the game was that he got the chills watching him. He got to see him on opening day for the first time. He saw him pitch. And then he walked into the dugout. And the second he walked back out onto the field to hit, Justin got the chills. And he said, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of his. We're talking about the best in the game, the best to ever do it. And my brother and a lot of the players we've talked to throughout the years that consistently say, Shohei Otani is incredible. I get the chills watching him. He's a unicorn. We just heard it from Carlos Correa talking about him. It is special. That's why this show cares so much about him. That's why we have This Week in Shohei Ohtani News. That's why we will continue to have This Week in Shohei Ohtani News. So when I look at Shohei, I see one in MVP. A legend in the game. But, you know, he did, he he struggled a little bit offensively to start the year. The, the Astros have his number, if you will, pitching to him. They just know how to game plan for him. I still think Shohei Otani will win back to back MVP awards. I really do. I think he's that good. His first double of the year, we saw it be the hardest hit ball by a left-handed hitter of all time. It was 119.1 miles an hour. 119.1 miles an hour. Unbelievable. But the Astros did have his number. And this was great, by the way. This video that came out, he wasn't getting hits like he's used to doing. A video in the dugout, gets him giving CPR to his bat in the dugout, trying to revive it. If I know one thing, it's that it'll work. Anything Shohei Otani does turns to gold. It just works. This CPR will work. I promise you he's going to turn it around. And in my opinion, Shohei Otani is going to be the 2022 AL MVP as well. He was ranked number one by Major League Baseball on their rankings of players. Number one. This is a big deal. Mike Trout has been, but move over Mike Trout. He's now number two on this list. Mike Trout is one of the greatest to ever do it. I would already put him on my Mount Rushmore of baseball. But now here's Shohei Otani. And he is now the number one ranked player in Major League Baseball according to MLB's ranking list that came out right before the season started. That's pretty incredible. That is special. And that's what Shohei Ohtani is. That's what he does. He's the complete package. He's great on the mound. He's great hitting. He's so fast. That's why he's in this leadoff spot. You know, you hear Shohei's leading off, but He hit 46 bombs. Like, that's not a prototypical leadoff hitter. You know what it is? A guy that's really fast and a guy that gets on base a lot. That's Shohei. Those are all the reasons why he's the number one ranked player in Major League Baseball. And those are all just a few reasons. Add on to that what he does for the game of baseball, the game that I love so much. Add all that together, and that's why every single week right here you can expect this week in Shohei Ohtani news, and you can expect it to be done right. But that does it for the first one of season two this week in Shohei Ohtani news. All right, now let's get into some power rankings. The first of the regular season, I did preseason power rankings, but now we get to do some way too early power rankings. And you guys love them, you hate them, you love to give me your opinion on them, and now we're going to do them, and I'm going to explain them on this show. So producer Conrad is going to come out, and we're going to walk through them one by one, and I'm going to explain why everybody is where on the first week's MLB Power Rankings.
0: All right, coming in at number 10, we have the San Francisco Giants.
1: Yeah, the Giants were right around here on my preseason rankings. They they won their series, but it was against the Marlins. They didn't look fantastic offensively. They did enough. Pitching looks good. The pitching looks good. That's what I've thought about this team. The pitching will be good. Can the offense be really, really good? Well, I don't know. But they didn't do enough for me to move one way or the other. They're still a good team, and they're here at number 10. Coming in at number nine, San Diego Padres. The Padres weren't on this list originally. They have now moved up a few slots. I had them just outside of the top 10 before the season. What they did opening weekend to me was really impressive pitching-wise. They carried a no-hitter into the seventh inning twice. Hugh Darvish and Sean Manaya to start the year. Um, so if, if this pitching staff can be elite, like we thought they would be last year, then that adds a whole new dynamic to this team. They're going to hit, and when Tatis comes back, they're going to be great offensively. But if they can pitch like they have been to start the year, they have a chance to do some damage. So they have moved up the list. They're, on, they're at number nine for Ryan. way with, too early. With Tatis, are they top five? Uh, I don't know if I'd go top five. Um, but with Tatis, I, I like him to come back and make a massive difference. So I actually didn't think they'd be here this early in the year. But what they did pitching-wise is enough to get them up here. With Tatis, that adds a whole new layer. You are, you're right there.
0: Coming in number eight, the New York Mets.
1: The Mets impressed opening weekend now it was against the nationals but you can't fault them for playing the nationals they pitched well mark canna's hitting 700 which i don't know if he'll be able to keep that up all year but i'm not going to bet against it um this revamped offense looks good mark canna great eduardo escobar is so fun to watch pete Alonso's getting in fights and hitting grand slams and flipping his bat it's incredible to be fair it was He was thrown at his face. They hit him in the face. So, of course, he's going to be mad. Um, And the pitching is without Jacob DeGrom. So they are here now without DeGrom. They could be higher, but Max Scherzer, Chris Bassett looks good. They look good. They're here at number eight.
0: Coming in number seven, the Atlanta Braves. Now, the Braves I have in
1: front, right in front of the Mets in these power rankings. And the Braves did not look good to start the year. They lose a series to the Reds, but they were much higher. I have moved the Braves down a few slots in the power rankings and the first power rankings of the year because of that opening series. You have to. But this Braves team is really good. There should not be cause for concern. Just a little update here because um, Ronald Acuna Jr. isn't back yet. Mike Sirocco won't be back until the midway point. So until this team proves that with what they have currently on the field, I had to move them down a little bit for losing to the Reds, and that's why they're here at seven.
0: Coming in number six, this one surprised me, New York Yankees. Yeah, the Yankees are good, and they
1: impressed opening week by beating the Red Sox, the, the biggest rivalry perhaps in sports, but certainly the biggest rivalry in baseball. It's a big series on a big stage. All the games were in primetime, Sunday night baseball they got, and they end up winning the series. So I didn't move them a lot. I had them right around here to start the year. Look, the thing with this team is like what we talked about at the top. We know what they are. They're going to hit a lot of bombs. They're going to strike out a lot. The pitching, the, the bullpen is what impressed me and what I liked from this Yankees team. I have them at number six.
0: Come at number five, the Chicago White Sox.
1: Yeah, the White Sox are probably the most complete team on paper uh, in the American League, in the AL Central for sure. But on paper, starting pitching all the way through, really good. Offensively, really good. Bullpen, really good. But that opening series just showed some weaknesses. They lose that opening game to the Tigers. They end up winning that series, but the injury bug just keeps getting them. A.J. Pollock tweaks a hamstring. Um, Lucas Giolito hurt in his first start. Goes on the I.L., Garrett Crochet, who we talked about before the season, Tommy John, out for the year. Liam Hendricks didn't look great in the back end of that bullpen. So I had them just a smidge higher originally, and I moved them down a tick due to injuries and Liam Hendricks not looking great. Um, But they're still really, really good. I didn't want to overthink this. I do think they'll still win the AL Central. They're at number five.
0: Luckily for you, White Sox fans are very reasonable, and I'm sure they understand. Always.
1: Always very reasonable, Yes. (laughs) L.A. Dodgers. The Dodgers at number four, and before the year, I had them at number one. This one is simple. They do, on paper, have the best lineup in baseball, one of the greatest of all time. They are a great team. But you can't lose a series to the Rockies and stay at number one you just can't. That's not going to happen. So like I said earlier, these are way too early predictions or or power rankings, and there's not a big sample size to go off of. But I am going with what I have to go off of. I'm not going to move the Dodgers out of the top 10 because they lose to the Rockies. We know they're still great, but I have to move them out of the number one spot because of that series. The offense hasn't started clicking yet, I promise you it will. It is incredible when you look at that lineup, one through nine, but it, they're not there yet. I had to move them down in a tick there at number four.
0: Come in number three, your World Series prediction, Toronto Blue Jays. The Blue Jays,
1: I also moved down just a smidge. I had them at number two, I believe, before this year started. I have them here because, well, they gave up 23 runs to the Rangers. <laughs> That's not great. I was a big believer in this rotation. I still am a believer in this rotation. Manoa went into Yankee Stadium and dominated. They end up shutting out the Yankees. So maybe maybe that's the start that they needed to start pitching well. But I just moved them down because of all the runs they gave up, and they didn't sweep the Rangers, who aren't going to be a great team. But offensively, man, this is a team that everybody should watch. When your favorite team's not playing – Watch the Blue Jays. They are fun. They're at number three.
0: Come in number two, a team that just always keeps coming back, the Tampa Bay Rays. You
1: know, I always always kick myself because, like, to start the year, I always think, okay, I'm going to move the Rays down. Like, they've been really good. No, stop. I'm done overthinking it. The Rays – Sweep the Orioles to start the year. Yes, I hear you. It's the Orioles, but they looked good. We know the Rays. Wander Franco is incredible. He looks to be a star in this league. And to be honest with you, I'm just done overthinking it. The Rays do it every single year with a roster that doesn't, on paper, line up with everybody else, but they just do everything better than everybody else. They do the little things. Analytically, they're better. All around, they just get the absolute best from what they are given. And that is why I'm not overthinking this. I'm jacking them up the list. They are at number two.
0: Comment number one, Houston Astros. Yeah, I'm going to give you
1: facts, okay? Fact, the Astros won three of four against the Angels on the road for opening week. Another fact, Alex Bregman, two homers in the first two games. He appears to be back back into his MVP caliber form. Also a fact, the starting pitching gave up four earned runs in four games. Starting pitching looked incredible. Jeremy Pena stepped in, in the shoes of Carlos Correa, which are the biggest shoes you can fill at a position. And he was really good. Three hits in a game. Played good defense. This team is complete. Watching them in person, it immediately became apparent they are an elite team in baseball. Kyle Tucker, a friend of the podcast, hitting in the six hole. He's an MVP caliber player this year. Justin Verlander is back. Cy Young, in his last full season in 2019, he was the best pitcher in the American League. He has stepped back in, and it appears he hasn't missed a beat. He's throwing 97. He's looking good out on the mound. He's healthy. The Houston Astros, after opening week, are without a doubt in my mind, the number one team in baseball. And they round out the top 10. That is my top 10 power rankings. Way too early. Not a big sample size. But here we are. The season has started. So I get to bring you power rankings. And it feels so good to be back. I can't wait for everybody to hate on my power rankings this year, but we're back. Astros round out the top 10. Before every show ends, I like to end with a little extra innings segment. And it's something that you know is means a lot to me or I like seeing or is a good moment in the game or is fun. This show is about fun, about bringing fun to baseball. First one of the Year for season two, I get to talk about Brett Phillips. Why? Well, he was back on the mound. Brett Phillips, the two-way superstar. Brett O'Phillips. Sort of like Brett Shohei Otani. A little bit of a stretch there, but whatever. Two-way superstar he's becoming. Back on the mound, throwing fuego. I think he topped out at 46 miles an hour yesterday. Gets a double play ball. Gives up a grand slam, makes an incredible play. The guy is doing it all. Let's start with his fly ball to left field, by the way. Gives up a deep fly ball to left field. Guy ends up catching it. Brett gives a little hat, uh, you know, a little ovation for him for making a very routine play in the outfield. I mean, a little more than routine, but I love the hats off like every great pitcher does when his defender makes a great play. He gets a double play ball. But he also gives up a Grand Slam. (laughs) His reaction on the mound was incredible. It got me to thinking, I am kind of glad that Brett gave up this Grand Slam. The game was out of hand, which I don't want to say is the only reason he was pitching, because he's a superstar on the mound. But that's why he was in the game. And he wasn't thrilled with the Grand Slam. But I like that he gave it up, because now it puts him in elite company. How many players in baseball have given up a Grand Slam? and also hit a grand slam. Not a ton. Brett now puts himself in elite territory as a two-way superstar. But my favorite moment on the mound from him yesterday, or the other day, came on a foul pop-up in foul territory. The third baseman was shifted over, so there was nobody on the left side of the field. This ball was hit over to the third base dugout. Brett comes running off the mound, sprinting over, slides, and makes a ridiculously incredible catch. Gets up, sprints back to the mound, holding up two for two outs. This play was the definition of this show, by the way. This was just incredible. He's on the mound as a two-way player. He bounces off, he makes a six-sliding play. He gets up, he shows two outs to everybody. Brett Phillips is electric on the mound. He is a friend of the show. He has been on a couple times. I'm hopeful we get him on a couple times throughout season two as well. This is why we love him. This is why everybody loves Brett Phillips from the fun that he has playing the game. And he did it again. He did it again back out on the mound. That does it for this first episode of, Flip, of flipping Bats for season two. We're back. Carlos Correa joined us. What a great guest to start the year. Thank you all for listening. If you haven't subscribed, just hit that little plus button wherever you watch, whether it be Spotify or Apple. Rate it five stars. We also have all social media, Twitter, Instagram. This episode will be out via video on YouTube. Make sure you check it out there. But this has been a blast. This season is going to be so much fun. Three episodes a week this year. We will be back with a live episode on Thursday. I will see you next time, my friends. Thanks for listening.